This podcast is produced by Unedited. Hi there. Welcome to the Black Magic Podcast, where we celebrate the achievements, beauty, power and resilience of British Black women. I'm your host, Anika Allen, and in each episode, I talk to guests about the challenges that they've overcome and their successes. Hopefully, something in their journey gives you a spark for your own magic. I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to learn about the adoption process, which I currently know nothing about. I did a little bit of research on how many children there are in need of a loving home, and I was shocked to discover that there are approximately 78,000 looked-after children in England. Within this, black children are disproportionately overrepresented in our care system. While black ethnic groups make up 3% of the general population, 8% of the looked-after children population are black. And black children are also less likely to go on to be adopted, and they wait longer to find their adoptive families. So whether you are looking to start a family, or add to your existing family, maybe you should consider adoption as an option. You Can Adopt is a national campaign to raise awareness of adoption and dispel some of the myths around who is eligible to adopt. Your gender, relationship status, ethnicity, age or religion do not matter. If you can love and care for a child, you can adopt. In this episode, Sharifa, a social worker involved in the adoption process, will dispel those misconceptions that many of us have about the adoption process. I've worked in various different areas in social work, from youth justice to adoption. I'm now an IRO, which means I'm an independent reviewing officer. Mm. I make sure that children who are in care are having um, a good care experience, for want of a better phrase, really. So um, what do I enjoy? I love when I see children have really good outcomes in life. Um, And this could be a child that wasn't attending school, a child that couldn't read or write. And then literally six months down the line, they're loving school or they're getting certificates and awards for their achievements. I also thoroughly enjoyed my time um, working in adoption. It was very rewarding because obviously I was then working with childless couples, usually at the time, who wanted to become parents. And being part of that that unique process was um, something I'll never forget and I and I totally enjoyed that that period. Um, challenges. Challenges would be when you see the inequalities in society that then impact people um, mm. adversely, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, when I see people's negative stereotypes as well towards care leavers, um, not knowing that actually these are children at the age of 18 who are suddenly expected to run their own lives because they've left care. Um, I also, you know, I, I, some of the challenges, again, are also working with some birth parents who are given lots of support but are unable to change certain addictive behaviours or habits, which then impact their children. That's quite difficult to deal with, regardless of the fact that I've been doing this almost 20 years. Let's go back to the area of, of work that you were discussing, which is adoption. So what is the starting point for families to adopt? You know, do they go to a local authority, a charity, an agency? How does it, how does it all begin? I would say that, you know, because we're now living in the modern age where we've got the internet, things are a little bit easier for those interested or curious about adoption. Certainly, I would say they can go onto the You Can Adopt website Mm. and they can access that online. Um, It will have lots of different information on there about, you know, adoption, what it means in the UK. 
it will enable people to sort of start questioning, is this really right for me? Can we do this? Can I do this? For example, as a single adopter. Another place I would say is that certainly some charities do recruit adopters. So do local authorities. I worked in the local authority as an adoption social worker, and that's that is a route that a lot of people will go to. So they might live in Greenwich. They might live in, live in, I don't know, Camberwell or wherever. They will go to that local authority and make inquiries. Having said that, I also worked with adopters when I worked in my South London borough who were from North London. They didn't want to be assessed by their um, local authority. So there are various different routes, but that would be the first point of call, certainly. Is there an initial cost? Is there a cost involved when you start in this process? Thankfully, there is no cost involved in adoption in the UK. Okay, there's no cost involved. And I think if there were, there'd be ethical issues and things that I certainly wouldn't be comfortable with. I know that other countries in the world have very different systems to us in the UK. But no, in the UK, you you are not charged or, you know, you do not pay for children, as it were. Well, that's good to know. Let's start from the beginning. Can you describe the adoption process to us? Okay. Um, I often get asked this question and I always, my first thing I always respond um, with is that any child joining a family, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, You know, whether that be a child joining a family through natural means, it takes nine months. Okay. Now the adoption process in the UK has actually been shortened. It used to be on average about 12 months plus to go through the assessment process. I think since about 2014, 2015, a two-stage approach came in. Now, you may hear people talking about, oh, I'm in stage one or I'm in stage two. Stage one is a two-month period, around about eight weeks, where lots of information would be gathered. So they'll do police checks, which is a DBS, the enhanced DBS check. They would check your, speak to your references. They would get you to maybe do some training online or attend training. Um, And it's lots of things for you to do as the person who is um, wanting to adopt. So it's quite, I'd say, adopter led. That's how we used to describe it. So stage one, yep, there's lots to do. And that's about two months, give or take. Okay, some couples or some individuals will say, right, we need a break between stage one and stage two. They might take a month off. They might reevaluate, what have you. Um, Some will just continue straight into stage two once they've passed stage one. Stage two is led by the adoption social worker and it consists of a very, very thorough assessment. Um, And this would be where people are saying, oh, it's so intrusive. You know, why do they want to know if I've got, I don't know, I don't know. I can't think of anything right now, but we are going to inquire about your life because actually the local authority is giving you a child to bring into your family. Um, And I always used to say to adopters, you know, these children have already had unfortunate starts in life, whether they're, you know, through abuse, through trauma, through, you know, neglect. We need to make sure that we're getting it right. So it's a home for this child and if we're bringing a child into that home you want to check that you know you've done all the work and that you are the right person for for this child let's go back to stage one for a second so you mentioned references so what kind of references does somebody need to to give you for this process Anika, it's no different to if you're applying for a job and they said give three references, character references. So with the adoption world, they might say they want two relatives and one friend. Now, I used to go and meet, this was before the pandemic, clearly. I used to meet referees all over the country. I remember meeting people at Victoria train station and going to sit with them for an hour because they were coming from wherever. And I would go and meet with them. These are, you know, these were my adopters, referees. Um, I'd go to referees' houses. You're just trying to get a builder picture of 
of this person who's saying to you that they love children and that they babysit your children every single weekend. Actually, I'm going to meet with that referee and I want them to say the same thing. Um, and also we do an employer check. So if you are employed, we will just check with your employer that there are no reasons as to why they would think that you shouldn't be a child shouldn't be placed with you um so that yeah that that's what the reference checks are it doesn't it's nothing too intrusive it's yeah how long have you known this person what type of parent do you think they might be have you know have you seen them with children before you know um what how would you support them if a child was to join their family would you be part of their support network those sort of things really so what if somebody that wanted to adopt doesn't have um you know like a, a network in terms of like friends and family that could be references or that could um could support them through this process they were kind of a bit of a um lone soldier but you know you know but really wanting to kind of move forward of adopting i think that's such a good question and you kind of throw me a little bit i think i i would want to know why they don't have any supports whatsoever mm. because i for example was raised in a single parent household but we had support my mum had support of you know people in our community etc aunts uncles um i would want to know literally if they're literally on their own, what would happen if, God forbid, they broke their leg and they couldn't take their child to school? Are you telling me the child wouldn't go to school because you've got no one that can step in? So it's that kind of thing. And in terms of referees, most people know somebody that's known them for at least two years. Mm. Do, do you catch my drift? So unless they, yeah. they don't, you know, <laughs> I, I would I would explore that a bit more as they're assessing social worker. And also sometimes people forget to sort of think wider. It could be your church. It could be your mosque. It could be your neighborhood that you have, you know, those networks with. Um, yeah, because I do understand that families are different and some people's families are not necessarily all in the UK. So, yeah. No, that's good to know because I just think that there are people with different, you know, dynamics of friendships and family and things. So, after that, what happens when a child is placed with a new family? How, how does, you know, can you can tell me a bit more about how that process starts? For example, um, how is the child supported with their new parents? So I guess I should really say that after stage one, then you go into stage two. After stage two, adopters are then, they will go to a panel, which is an adoption panel to be approved as adopters. After that, okay. the, the social workers will then go and he can start looking for this child, for this family. So, you know, we've got approved adopters. We need to find a child for these adopters. We call them prospective adopters. Um, fast forward, a child is found, the child is matched with that adopter. There's a whole process around that. Child moves in. So your question about how the family would be supported, if, for example, it was a sibling group, by sibling group, brother and sister, you know, children of school age, so four and, I don't know, five, say, for example, um, the adopters would be supported in terms of helping them to find a local school. For, the, for these children. Um, I would also point out at this stage that when children who are adopted come into a family, they automatically get, um, what's the word, priority for state schools. So if you wanted your child to go to an outstanding state school and they, they were from care and now adopted, they would automatically have priority within any school of your choice, basically, so long as it's a state school. Um Social workers do not just step away once a child is placed. So in terms of support, they will still have visits from the child social worker 
okay, come into the home. Um, and also the adopter or adopters would have their own social worker that they could access on the phone or who would come and visit them just to see how they're settling in and to check in on them. I mean, they're not going to go in every day, but for the first four weeks, certainly one person will visit at least once a week to see them and to see how they're settling because if you're you know a baby's placed with you for example Anika and this is your first experience of having a baby living in your house you might have questions you know you might want to know how to access local health visitor service that kind of support you'd be sort of guided with Um, and also you're not just left you know once the children are placed you you have that support and that support can continue even post-adoption but just not to that intensity yeah and I guess you've probably forged such a close relationship with that social worker. Will it be the same one consistently? I think that in terms of my social work career, I built the strongest relationships with my adopters so much so that certainly, you know, even after the judge has granted the adoption order and you no longer have to visit, I'd have adopters sending me pictures. Oh, my God, Sharifa, look at him at his first day at school. Oh, look at this picture. This was his christening. Will you come to his christening? And I know I shouldn't ask you because you're not our social worker, but will you still come? So you you build and you forge those relationships. And I really, really do urge people to know that the social worker is on your side. We want to place children. Um, you know, it's our it's our joy almost to see children leave care and come into a family. So certainly, yeah, you do build a good relationship with them, um, but you also want them to kind of just go out there and be their family and, and leave them alone, so to speak. Um, but yeah, social workers do step step out of the picture and then you're expected to continue with your, with your life, with your new family. Yeah, I love that line that you just said, it's our joy to see them place with a new family. And, and I just can imagine, you know, there's so many kids in care and things. So to, to know that someone has been placed with a good family, I can understand, I can understand that. I mean, let's go back to that matching process. How do you work out kind of if this child is a good fit for this family and how do they, you know, how do the families or, you know, or single adopters, you know, I guess, choose the right child for them to do life with? I think, Anika, do you know, as you're assessing a couple or an individual and I've assessed single people I've assessed um, same-sex couples I've assessed um, assessed married um, people you will know the sort of child that they've said they wanted so for example somebody might say I've always wanted a boy you know we weren't able to have our own children naturally but yeah we're definitely wanting a boy and we want him to be under the age of three okay Mm. so that does help me because when, when we're getting nearer and nearer to start matching I'm looking for a little boy I'm not sending you profiles of girls or sibling groups of three girls you know what I mean I'm not wasting your time I know for a fact that if you're a white adopter for example you are more than likely going to be looking for white children so I'm not going to send you pictures of children that are non-white likewise with with the black families that I've worked with they'll say Sharifa we'd love a little boy and you know we're Caribbean or we're um, African descent we would like a child of you know to come from either African you know of Afro-Caribbean background Um, in terms of age sometimes people can be quite clear I don't want anyone over the age of two because I really want to do that toddler baby phase um, and Mm. I really want to spend time at home with this child for at least a year or so before they go to school or nursery as it were Um, and then I've also met people who are in their 50s they're like Sharif I don't want to do sleepless nights I'm 53 (laughs) I want a child who is five you know already in school so that's how you know you are informed in terms of the matching process you are looking at what the adopter feels that their capabilities are 
and then you look on the database which sadly there is a database of children who are waiting for adoption um, and then you help and those children can be anywhere in the country for example so I've placed children from Wales in Croydon I've placed children from Stockport in in Lewisham so it could be and it could be vice versa so there there is a lot of traveling in this in this role because you are technically not really I mean if I lived in Lewisham um, and my child was removed from me for whatever reason technically the adopter shouldn't really come from Lewisham because I don't want to be on the high street and be like oh my goodness I recognize that little boy it's my son so we always try in fact we always place children outside of the borough that they originally come from just for safety and for comfort you know um, what's the word yeah confidentiality really yeah, no, that makes sense because, as you said, you don't want to be having to bump into family members and things and um, them coming up to your child and you don't know who they are. Um, so so that's definitely that's a great thing to know. Um, you mentioned earlier about kind of like you would you would um, find, a you know, a white child probably would want to be adopted, but a white parent would probably want to adopt a white child and a black parent, uh, a black child. But... Are, do many interracial adoptions happen? Could kind of a white Asian family adopt a black child? Certainly, legislation, Anika, says that we cannot um, delay children being adopted. For example, if we can't find black adopters and there are suitable white adopters who come forward or Asian adopters who come forward, we cannot delay that child's permanency by not placing them. What the law also says in the Children Act is that children's identity and their needs must be taken into consideration when placing them into another family. So you've got that juxtaposition where you're just like, okay, so we need more adopters that look like some of the children that are waiting, i.e. we need more black adopters, we need more Asian adopters. Uh, And, you know, there are campaigns such as the You Can Adopt Black Adopters campaign doing that, trying to recruit more um, black adopters. But certainly transracial adoptions do take place. I've been involved in a few. So why are initiatives like You Can Adopt Black Adopters campaign so important? I think it's a campaign that I've really, really enjoyed being part of because it increases visibility. Um, You can see and you can hear from other people who've been on the adoption journey because it is a journey. But hearing people who look like you, who sound like you, share their intimate sort of journeys to parenthood is is not only heartwarming but it's also reassuring that Mm. if they can do it you can do it as well so I think the campaign is great because it it makes sure that when we're thinking about adoption we're not counting ourselves out we can actually count ourselves in because our children need us essentially you know this is this is the UK our children need us and black children wait longer unfortunately to be matched Um, and that that always used to and still does break my heart actually knowing that a child of of black or Asian background is going to wait longer than a white child to be matched why is that I think for the simple reason that this is the UK, there are more white people and there are more white children in care. So if I am a childless couple, um, if I was a white person, I was a childless couple, I would go forward for a white child first and foremost. That would be my Mm. preference. So, of course, there will be more black children waiting. On top of that, we also have our black community who often are dubious of um, systems um, Mm. such as local government or think they're going to be in my business, you know, and they count themselves out of the process without knowing 
by that act alone our children wait longer and when a child waits longer Anika they become older then you have the situation where I've seen in the past where the child is seven and they've been on the list for two years um, without being matched and that's heartbreaking because by seven it's unlikely that that child will then be matched with an adopter although it's not unheard of for someone to come forward and say actually I want a seven-year-old I think the oldest child I've placed were sisters one was six one was seven but I've not placed children over that age. And I guess the youngest child I've placed was about seven months old. Wow. So after seven, if they're not, if generally, if they're not kind of placed, they stay in the, they stay, they can stay in the care system kind of. They stay in foster care basically. Yeah. And that's not what, you know, we want um, for our children in terms of long-term. Yeah. Not at all. Not. So where can we go? What, what can we read? How, you know, who should we speak to if we want more information about adopting a child? Okay, so there's, like I said at the start, Anika, there's so much information on the internet, so we're blessed to have that. Um, I would say certainly go onto the You Can Adopt website. Um, even as a professional, I would go on, I mean, and it's something that can be accessed by anybody, really. You don't have to be a social work practitioner to access BAF, and that's mm. British Adoption um, and Fostering, and you can Google it. Um, online, B A A F. So BAF, Core and BAF, um, they have lots of information on there about adoption. Then you've got Adopt UK, um, which will have links, which will have resources that people can read and sort of find out if this is for them. And also just find out a bit more about the process, about the children that are waiting, um, and about what, what sort of things will be expected of them on this journey. Fantastic. I mean, what kind of words of wisdom can you say to encourage black people to can start considering adopting black children? I would say, and I guess as well, some of this is from seeing the lovely um, clips from the the you can the Black Adopters You Can Adopt campaign, hearing the joy that children bring into the lives of those who always wanted to become parents or those who were parents already but wanted to add to their family is indescribable. Um, and I think if you think you've got the love, the time, the patience and the space in your heart, um, it's something that I think you should think about you know um, speak to your loved ones about it speak to your friends find out if this is something you can do because our children need us really and what would you say to people that say that adoption isn't the same thing as having your own birth children I would say to those people that's a little bit of an easy phrase or an easy statement to make what I would say is love loving a child that, that that's not physically born to you is certainly possible. I've seen it. Um, I've heard it. And, and, you know, it's not something that's unheard of. So I think the love, you certainly will love that child because you're pouring out into them every day. You're raising that child, you know, you're instilling your values that, you know, you're going, you're, you're doing family things with that child. You are going to love them. Um, and I think that adopters, we used to say to adopters, because a child hasn't grown in your stomach physically, actually that desire has been grown in your heart to be a parent, to be a mum to be a dad um, and actually it, it is realized through adoption because then you have that all those things that you wanted to do with this little person you're now doing so um, I would say to people who make that comment that it's not exactly the same of course it's not because you've not physically gone to a hospital but actually you've gone through a very lengthy sort of intrusive process to get this child and 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 it's something that you should be proud of yeah that's a definitely a beautiful thing and and I think as a black community when I think back to kind of um family members I think a lot of us do unofficial adoption where you know you might have a family member that might have passed away and then you start raising their kids or I don't know there's there's lots of family members and friends I can think of that are raising kids that aren't their own but probably didn't go through an official adoption process so I don't think it's something that's 
alien alien to us as a community i think it's kind of getting families involved and the black community involved in this official process and is uh, is what we need to do but i think you know we're up for it so i definitely hope that from hearing this today that more members of the black community will go out and kind of find out more information and start looking into this i mean there are so many misconceptions when it surrounds the kind of criteria of what makes a good adoptive parent so um what I want to do, Sharifa, is I want to say a few lines and I want you to say if it's true or false and where possible, maybe provide some insight around the statement. So um, I'm going to kickstart with you can't adopt if you're single or if you are you or your partner are unmarried. That is false. Certainly single people can adopt um, and certainly cohabiting couples can adopt as well. And I've placed children with both. So that's a falsehood. Fantastic. So you can't adopt if you are over 45. Again, false. You can certainly adopt if you're over 45. Most of the children I place were with people in their early, mid, late 30s to sort of late 40s. You certainly can adopt. Um, there is no upper age limit for adoption. The lower age limit would be 21. Okay, so a 21-year-old could adopt. That's interesting. I mean, I've yet to place a child of a 21-year-old, but that's <laughs> what the law says. It doesn't mean that it happens every day. Mm. Um, so you can't adopt if you work full-time or are unemployed? Both are false, okay? Um, many adopters will come from whether empl- full-time employment or self-employment, and some may not work. Um, so again, that's false. My next one is, and actually a friend of mine said that was considering adopting said this the other day to me, and I said, I don't think that's true. So um, this is, you can't adopt if you don't own your own home. Again, that's false, because people who rent can adopt. Um, people who live in flats can adopt. You certainly can adopt a child if you are not a homeowner. Exactly. I mean, you'd raise it. You can, you know, if you had your own, um, your own kind of biological child that you gave birth to and you you were renting, you, you're raising them in a rented accommodation. So why can't you raise a child that you can adopt? I mean, I would say that we always say, say to adopters, if you're adopting a child over the age of one or 18 months, we would expect that child to have his or her own bedroom. So you need to think about space um, when you are adopting. But I will also say that some local authorities have initiatives for those who will like social housing and who need maybe one extra room. They might be able to speak to their local authority about that because they're in the process of adopting and, and, and a child being placed. Yeah. See, and it's things like that that I guess people wouldn't even be aware of. They'd just maybe rule it out because they're like, oh, I haven't got the space to to um, have another child at home or to have a child in general. But to know that you could reach out to your local authority to possibly um, have a bigger space is, um, is amazing. So thanks for that. Another one is you need to earn a considerable amount of money to adopt. That is false because um, I've seen adopters from all walks of life, um, different backgrounds in terms of their their income levels. And, you know, some went to university, some didn't go to university, some don't work. So, no, certainly not. We're not looking for rich people to, to adopt children. We're looking for people who are rich in love and who've got a big heart. So, yeah. I love that. Rich in love, most definitely. Um, you can't adopt because you follow a particular religion or faith. That is false. I've placed children with people from different faith backgrounds. So that's not accurate at all. And my last one, you can't adopt if you are overweight. 
Again, this isn't correct, but what I would say is that um, as part of the adoption process, you will be expected to undergo a health assessment. It's with your GP. It's nothing intrusive. You know, they're going to ask you questions about your lifestyle. And if it is that you are severely overweight, your GP might mention to you ways in which that you could look at that and explore ways of, you know, living a healthier lifestyle. And that would be shared with your adoption social worker. And actually, you can just have a discussion that, you know, I'm trying to go walking every day now or, you know, I'm going to cut down if if I smoke, I'm going to stop smoking, for example. It's really just about making sure that adopters are going to be good role models and, and, and sort of live healthy lifestyles for the children that we are going to be placing with them. Yeah. Amazing. So I definitely wanted to dispel all those myths. So listeners, I hope you've taken all that in and know that actually there is nothing stopping you from kind of adopting if you're interested in this process. Truth, is there anything else you'd um, like to say or add in terms of adoption that I may have missed that you think would be useful for um, listeners to, to know and understand about the process and about the experience? Okay. Anika, I'd say that people should start having curious conversations about adoption. So, for example, if you know someone in your network that's adopted, reach out to them, find out what it was like for them, sort of spend time with them and their adopted family, you know, their children. Um, and, and if you're curious about it and you think this is actually we can do this or I can do this, then take that next step, make the call, make inquiries with your local authority or make inquiries on the um, You Can Adopt website so that you can be maybe sent some, sent some more resources or sent on um, information evenings. Um, they do those regularly for people to sort of attend. You're not committing to anything, but you're going along and you're finding out more about the children that are waiting and also about the process. I'd also say people should do it at the time that's right for them as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, make sure that you're at that time and space in your life that you can commit to this process because it does require your time it does require you to be willing to learn th new things and also unlearn things that you've kind of thought about adoption which we've some of the things we've covered this morning um so yeah i'd say that people should count themselves in really and if you're a friend or family member of someone that's um considering adopting or going through that process what's the best way that um you can support them I would say that by being in their support bubble, um, support network is, is key. Um, likewise, the same way if they were bringing a child into the world, another, you know, via another method, you would be there for them. So they need that support. They need you to be there um, to, to sort of hear any concerns they might have or if they're going through any challenges with the process, just to be there as their support. I'd also say that you can also educate yourself by reading about adoption. Anybody can go on any of those websites I've mentioned just to find out a bit more to explore it. I, we used to say to some adopters who struggled with how their families would manage the concept of adoption send you know back then we would say you know there's a book a really really good book you could send to your your mom because some people are a different generation and their understanding of certain things are not the same as ours but nowadays you could just send somebody a link they can read it they can say oh wow so this is okay yeah you know and and because there are so many myths from different parts of the world like our system is very different to the US our system is very different to different you know other European countries so it's important to know if you're adopting in the UK to sort of stick to that and not overburden yourself with um, reading lots of different things about adoption in other countries yeah great advice Sharifa thank you um, so I like to end the podcast by asking I guess you something personally so um, if you could share a message with your younger self what would that be 
It could be advice, guidance. Obviously, you've gone on, I guess, a journey with your career, 20 years deep in social work, and just have probably experienced a lot personally and professionally. So if you could think back, what kind of message would you share to your younger self? I would say, certainly my younger self, you don't know everything. You think you do, but you don't. Um, and give time, time, almost, um, you the more you grow the more you will learn and I think the more experiences you have the more equipped you are to sort of face new things as well um I'd also say just to believe in yourself and don't let anybody sort of tell you otherwise yeah I'd say believe in yourself and um yeah I'd say know that you can make a difference in the world and that you will make a difference in the world yeah that's what I'd say There are children all over the country looking for loving homes, from young children to older children, from single children to sibling groups, from children of all faiths, cultures and ethnicities. No matter their background, all they need is their new family to change their life. If you have the love, time and commitment to give a child, then you can adopt. To find out more, visit youcanadopt.co.uk forward slash blackadopters and begin your journey towards building your family. Thank you for listening. Catch every episode of the Black Magic Podcast by subscribing on Acast, Apple and all good podcast apps. Spread the word and share the magic. This podcast is produced by Unedited.